Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that is holy, that is true, which we find revealed your perfect will. Lord, that is like honey to our lips. Oh, Lord, sustain us and feed us now as we come hungry to hear your word, that you would transform us, that you would uh, convict us of our sins, that you would grow us up in Christ, that your word would bear much fruit in our lives and in our church. So we ask that you would bless now the preaching of your word, that Jesus would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there, there are many of us who've, who've perhaps been in, in churches where money is spoken about in almost every sermon, uh, where you are guilt-tripped into giving money with, with the promise that the more you give, the more God is going to put more money in your bank accounts. Sometimes it's as said as crassly as that. Um, or the more you give, it's going to give you access to physical healing and all sorts of other you know, spiritual wonders. And this sort of teaching is the unfortunate evidence of the widespread influence of the prosperity gospel, and especially in our church context here in Durban and the rest of this country, even the continent of Africa. But now it's easy in response to having been exposed to this manipulative prosperity gospel teaching, then to react in another extreme direction, which is that then we, we choose not to speak of money at all. And then, in fact, we, we, we view it as something unspiritual in itself and, and bad in itself and unconnected or irrelevant to, to our Christian faith. Now, biblical teaching on money is neither of these two extremes. 
Now, the Bible definitely does not teach that we are to give more money so that God can give us more money. Nor does the Bible teach that money is unspiritual. In fact, it, it teaches quite the opposite. It, 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 it says that, that how we use money has a direct connection with our hearts towards the Lord. So we've, we've now reached the final verses of this letter to the Philippians. So this is the concluding sermon on, on the book of, of Philippians. And in these few concluding verses, Paul talks about something which maybe you think is, is, is unexpected at the end of the letter. He, he talks about money. And so he, he, he is thanking the Philippian church for supporting him financially, even though, as we're going to see, they were a very poor church. And so as we look at these verses this morning, we, we're going to observe some important biblical truths about how we to steward money as believers in, in Christ. And so we're going to see that because God is abundant in riches, he will provide for us richly through his grace so that we can bless others for the sake of the gospel. So in short, we're going to see that we blessed in order to be a blessing. So three points. Firstly, the missionary's investment and reward. Secondly, the church's investment and reward. And lastly, true riches, God's grace in Christ. So first off, the missionary's investment and reward. Now, we heard last Sunday when, when Brennan preached to us, preached on three verses preceding uh, this morning's text, where we heard that we can, in Christ, we can find contentment, whatever our circumstances. And so it's those verses from last week that now prepare the way for how, the way how Paul thanks the Philippian church for providing for him, even in the direst of, of circumstances. So in this first section, we're going to focus on Paul from the perspective of a church planter that he was, or missionary and, and a missionary pastor. Okay, he was all these three-year-olds. He was a church planter, missionary, and pastor. And look at, firstly, his investment into the ministry and then his, his reward. So what was Paul's investment? Well, verse 14, our first verse opens up with Paul addressing the Philippians and says, yet it was kind of you to share my Trouble. Trouble. Okay, it's got to be the understatement of the year for Paul. Yeah, we know as we've been looking, as we've been walking through Philippians these past couple of months, what sorts of trouble has Paul been in? Well, he's been enduring all sorts of extreme hardships for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, he's faced persecution for preaching the gospel, even right back when he planted the church in Philippi. Him and Silas were locked up in jail, as you saw in Acts 16. He's been beaten. He's currently imprisoned in Rome. He's lost all his, his freedoms and, and comforts, and now he's, he's waiting to hear whether or not he's going to face a death sentence. So a big part of Paul's investment was his suffering for the sake of the gospel. The thing with the gospel... Proclaiming the gospel, there's always a price to pay. And Paul 
paid this price throughout his life. Now, the next aspect of his investment, we can see it in verse 15, the next verse. It is, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. So what does Paul mean by this term, in the beginning of the gospel? Well, he's reminding the Philippians of that day when they first heard the gospel preached years back when he arrived in Philippi along with Silas and they planted the church in Philippi. They, we read that, as I said, in, in Acts 16. And there they went out in the city. The first day they were there, they, pre- they preached the gospel. And who was their first convert? Lydia. Hey, Lydia got converted to Christianity. Then they were arrested for preaching the gospel because they were upsetting the pagan norms of the day. And then uh, they were put in prison. And even in prison... They're still preaching the gospel, and we read about the, the Philippian jailer receiving Christ as they, as they preached to him. Okay, so that was the, the beginning of the gospel in, in Philippi. They're implanting the church, them preaching the gospel, bringing the good news for the first time to, to Philippi. So Paul's investment... It's not only suffering for the sake of the gospel, but laboring in faithfully teaching and preaching the gospel. Discipling people in God's word. Seeing God's word take root in people and and transforming them for Christ. That's a significant investment to labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word. And that's what Paul is actively doing. So this investment we see with Paul is similar for all who labor in preaching God's word today. All who, those who pastor the flock, those who plant churches, those who are perhaps sent as missionaries to other parts of the country or other countries. And so like we've seen with Paul, there is a great price to pay if the Lord has called people in this way. It may not necessarily be imprisonment or hardcore persecution, though there are certainly countries in the world today where that is the price, where our, brother, what our brothers and sisters are paying for, for the sake of the gospel. But typically in our context, suffering comes mainly in the form of, say, missionaries who got to leave their families and live in strange places. Perhaps they got to give up some creature Comforts, church planters who, and pastors who, who perhaps face rejection and opposition and hostility from people as they preach the gospel and live sacrificial lives in service to the Lord. Yeah, there's no such thing as a pain-free and cost-free calling. This is a part of the territory of gospel ministry. And the reason for that is... Well, we follow the way of our master, the Lord Jesus, who laid down his life as a sacrifice in obedience to the Father. But there's also a reward for those who labor in gospel ministry and mission. And we see this here with Paul in our passage this morning, verses 15 to 18. 
When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what was Paul's reward? Well, his first reward clearly from this text, is financial support from the Philippian church. Hey, they faithfully supported him. In fact, as you see in verse 15, they were the only church to do so. Now, it's also clear here that the nature of their support was significant. It wasn't a few pennies. In verse 18, it says, Paul received, he says, full payment. Yeah, abundant payment and more. And he says he was well supplied. So firstly, we can see that Paul isn't shy about talking about money. Okay? He doesn't see it as something dirty. He doesn't see it as something unspiritual. But he rather, he sees it as a necessity in facilitating gospel ministry. And helping the gospel get out there. And so in order for him to continue to preach the gospel, he says in verse 16, his needs... Everyone has needs. They need to be met. He needs food. Hey, he needs a roof over his head. He needs money for transport. He needs money to buy some clothes. And he needs these needs to be met so that he can get on with the business of ministering the gospel and preaching and teaching God's word and reaching the lost and caring for God's people instead of being distracted by having to get Another job in order to try and earn money through, through, through other avenues. Now, generally, the New Testament pattern is that those who proclaim the gospel for a living should get their living by the gospel. And that's, I'll look to those words straight from 1 Corinthians 9, 14. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. Now, though Paul is, is thankful for this general, generous provision from the Philippians, it's interesting here that that's ultimately not what he seeks. He's not saying, well, thanks for the money, but you know, it's not ultimately what, what I need. Because money is never an end for Paul. And you see this in verse 17. It says, not that I seek the gift, okay, the money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. Okay, he's got his perspectives right here. Because he's essentially saying, Philippian church, thanks for the money, but that's really by the bar. It's not what he's really seeking. The greater reward for Paul is the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is much more concerned about the seed of the gospel of Christ taking root in people's lives, that they grow up in their faith, in obedience to God's word, and putting to death sin, in growing in godliness and in the grace of Christ, and living God-glorifying lives. That's the real reward for gospel ministry. The money just facilitates that. It's a means to an end. The end is the fruit, and that's what Paul is concerned about.
Let's bring us to our second point. Church's investment and reward. So as we've seen, Paul sacrificially invested and gained reward through gospel ministry. We also see in this text, it's the same with the church. The Philippian church invested sacrificially in their support of Paul. Verse 15 tells us that they entered into partnership with me, Paul, in giving and receiving. And for a prolonged period of time, as we see in the text. The text says that they've been supporting him since he left Macedonia. Macedonia is the, the region where Philippi was situated in modern-day Greece. And that support continued to the point even when he was in Thessalonica, okay, another part of Greece. And the nature of the support was, as we saw earlier in verse 18, it was abundant. So it would be easy to assume then that the Philippian church was able to provide this long-term and abundant financial support to Paul Precisely because they were rich. And they had lots of excess cash to, to, to dish out to missionaries. Well, this certainly was not the case. You need to understand this. The Philippian church was a very poor church. And there's evidence for this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, where Paul is speaking about all the churches in Macedonia. Remember, Philippi was in Macedonia And he says that they were in, quote, extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. They, they, you traveled around South Africa, you know what extreme poverty is. That, That was them. Now, the incredible thing is that despite their extreme poverty, they were exceeding, they were exceedingly generous in their giving. And the text says that they, they shared, or the Greek koinonia, they participated in Paul's trouble, in, as verse 14 says. They, they, they wanted to partner with him in the midst of his challenges. And in order to do that tangibly, they sent him abundant financial gifts through Epaphroditus to help him in his darkest hour in his imprisonment. They they practice sacrificial giving. And we see this clearly expressed in verse 19. It says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul here, he deliberately uses Old Testament sacrificial language from Exodus 29, 18, in order, he does it for a reason. And his reason is he's making a, a connection between sacrificial financial giving and worship. And the reality for every Christian is that the giving of your finances is an act of worship to God. It's not an optional extra. It's an integral, normal part of our worship. Why is this so? What is it about money that God desires that we 
as a part of our worship that we give some to him. Well, God desires that we bring him glory by giving to him our first fruits. And to lay down before God that which is dear to us, that which is going to cost us something, because that's what a sacrifice is. And the reason why this is so important is that the pull of idolatry is so strong on every single one of our hearts. Because our our sinful tendency is to worship the creation and not the creator. It's a battle that if we're honest with ourselves, we, we can battle every day with. Because it means the state of our hearts, even as regenerate Christians, we are still wrestling with this, that our hearts are drawn to things like money and abundance of possessions. There's an attraction to these things. There's an allure about them because they give a false promise of happiness and fulfillment. If we just have X, Y, and Z, it's going to be better. And the thing is about giving to God, the act of, the, of giving of our finances sacrificially to the Lord It keeps our hearts in check. It trains us. Remember, this is a discipline. You've got to train. We've got to continue to do it. It trains us to hold on to money very lightly. And not to let it get a hold over us. And be a slave to it. And instead... Use money for the glory of God and trust in the Lord that he will provide for us. And ultimately, that we would find satisfaction in him and not the things of this world, not in possessions and not in our bank balance. Now, an excuse that Christians often give for for not giving financially is they will say things like, well, I don't earn enough money in order to give. Or I'm in a whole lot of debt. Or there are too many other important monthly expenses that prevent me from from giving. And they'll say, once I earn more, then I'll be in a position to give. Brothers and sisters, this attitude unfortunately betrays the fact that money is an idol in your life. The Philippians were in extreme poverty. That's what we're seeing from the text. That did not prevent them from giving sacrificially to the Lord. They gave out of their poverty. And it's the same with, in Mark 12 with the poor widow. Okay, there's all these rich guys giving a little, you know, a tiny bit of their wealth. And they were very proud of it. And this poor widow drops in her two coins, and Jesus said she gave more than all the others because she gave, Jesus said in Mark 12, 42, 44, she gave all that she had to live on. So for us, we need to get into a monthly discipline, a monthly practice that we give to God first, and we give sacrificially. We give something that, that, that hurts because that's the point of the sacrifice. 
And then we trust that the rest will fall into place. Now, those of us who've been giving sacrificially for years, we can testify to this. Okay, this is what Christians have been doing for generations, for centuries, for millennia. And they do, we do it because God is faithful. But what this may mean for you is that you may need to sacrifice some other things in your life in order to do this. Whether it's going out to eat, it's buying that new pair of shoes, or having that DSTV or Netflix subscription, or that gym membership, or hoarding away less in your savings account. You've got to reorganize your monthly budget so that it glorifies the Lord. Because you will very quickly see where your heart lies in how you use your money every month. We tend to feed our idols. The Lord Jesus really does need to be Lord even over your finances. Because how you handle money is a deeply spiritual issue. And this is exactly why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what this all exposes is whether or not we really do trust in God's providence. In his promise to provide for us faithfully and generously. And so this is why Paul continues in verse 19. And he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, trust that God is faithful to supply your every need precisely because he's God. He's our infinitely rich, eternal creator. He is the one who set the millions of stars and planets in their place. He's the one who sustains the birds of the air who clothes the grass of the field who waters the the lilies that none of them go with any need and this is why Jesus says in Matthew 6:30 but if god so clothes the grass of the field which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more Clothe you, are you of little faith? So what then was the reward of the Philippian church? The investment was they invested money into Paul. Their, their reward, verse 15, Paul says that in their partnership with him, they both gave and they received. So they obviously gave, we've seen that, but what did they receive? 
Well, their motive was certainly not to give in order to get more money. Okay, that's the prosperity gospel heresy, which the Bible does not teach anything of the sort. They gave so generously to Paul because they had received true treasure from him. What did they receive from him right in the, in the beginning? The gospel. They gave because God had already blessed them abundantly. Forgiven their sins. He's counted them as his own adopted children. He's assured them that, they would, that he would finish the work that he began in them. And in turn, because of them having experienced for themselves the abundant generosity of God and Christ, they were moved to bless others. And specifically bless Paul in his ministry. And what was their reward then in this? Well, the, the privilege of participating in gospel ministry. You see, for, for us, the support of mission work or, or support in, in giving to the local church, our motivation for giving is not that we would get anything in return. That's not guaranteed. But our motivation to give is instead to bless others purely because God's blessed us so much in Christ. God has already been so abundantly generous to us and pouring out his undeserved grace to us in Christ. And so how can we not be generous in response to this and bless others for the sake of the gospel? And that we would also never lose sight that, that our giving to the local church or a missionary or any other mission causes, it means, like the Philippians, that we are able to partner in the greatest mission of all. And that is helping the gospel, which is the most important and relevant and life-transforming message, be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. We're going to say our last and final points. True riches in True riches, God's grace in Christ. Now, one of the, the greatest errors of the prosperity gospel is that it is fundamentally man-centered. Okay, in other words, it's based on the assumption that if you have abundance of money and possessions and are physically healthy, it'll mean you will have a, you're guaranteed to have a content and a blessed life. That's how it defines the blessed life. It's happiness here and now in possessions and money. Now, for sure, there's certainly benefits to not being poor. Okay, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. But life is so much more than just what you can see and touch. Why is it that so many rich people are desperately unhappy? Why is it that so many of them are depressed? And if you want proof of this, well, just look no further than the celebrity culture. I mean, these guys have got millions of dollars, more money than we could even fathom. But their personal lives seem to all be falling apart. And they're all on antidepressants and drugs because they, 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 they can't cope as human beings. The truth is that the abundance of money doesn't solve all your problems. 
But rather, the fundamental issue that affects every single human being is not a lack of money, but it's sin. And sin is the reason for deep unhappiness, for brokenness, for pain, for depression, for anxiety. And ultimately, sin is the reason why outside of Christ, we are God's enemies. We are living in rebellion to him and deserving of his wrath. And so this is exactly why these final verses here, they lift up our eyes to the Lord and they cause us to, to be, to be God-centered. Verse 20, there's to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's only when our hearts are lifted Godward to our gracious and loving Heavenly Father that our deepest desires and needs are satisfied. And that's why the church father, Augustine, famously said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Well, how do our hearts find rest in the Lord? Well, these verses carry on and they tell us through God's provision of his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our final verse, verse 23, it's a benediction and says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's only the grace of Jesus that truly satisfies us and truly gives us rest. And though we deserved God's wrath because of our sin, because of our idolatry, because of our love and worship of money, in Christ, God paid for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved on the cross. He bled and died for us. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He wiped away our debt of sins and he reconciled us to himself. And this is all a gift of undeserved grace. None of us deserve it. He has granted it to us just because. And we receive it by faith. And blessed by this abundant and undeserved grace in Christ, what this means then is that we're able to be a blessing to others through the gifts that God has given us. So to bring us all together, brothers and sisters, repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the one who left all manner of heavenly riches and became poor, became man, took on flesh, who went to the cross, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed so that you could become rich. Not in earthly riches, but in riches that are infinitely more valuable, our heavenly inheritance, which is Christ and his benefits. He who forgives your sins, who grants you new life in the Holy Spirit, who truly satisfies you and who gives you peace, promising you an eternity before his glorious presence, enjoying his majesty and beauty. These true riches, which is Isaiah 64, verse 4 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined are yours in fa by faith in Christ. Let's pray.